So let's, uh, let's do a little bit of review. Uh, there are two tables uh, to the Ten Commandments. Commandments 1 through 4, commonly called the first table. Commandments 6 through 10. Uh, the second table, the first table, having to do with our relationship with God. Uh, the second table having to do with our relationship with our fellow human beings. First table having to do with love to God and the worship of God. Uh, and table, the second table having to do with love for neighbor and our behavior in connection uh, with our neighbor. So go, focusing on the first table, uh, the first commandment is who is to be worshipped. Second commandment is the what manner, how, how in that respect God is to be worshipped. Uh, third commandment is the, uh, the how in terms of the attitude with which he is to be worshipped. Fourth commandment has to do with the time of worship. Uh, so with the second commandment, you really have what's required in terms of external forms, the in external matters of worship. The third commandment internalizes it. Uh, this is the, the outlook um, the motive, uh, the, the attitude that one brings uh, to the worship of God. In other words, when Jesus, uh, uh, with the Samaritan woman, said that God is to be worshipped both in spirit and in truth, he was really pointing to the requirements of the second and the third commandments. Second commandment has to do with the truth, the right way, the right form. Third commandment has to do with spirit, with attitude, heart. And so it's the third commandment that we're going to be looking at here this evening, verse 7 of Exodus chapter 20. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We've also uh, remarked over the course of the series that behind every negative prohibition is a positive principle. So it can be somewhat misleading. The Ten Commandments are negatively framed, thou shalt nots. Uh, but behind the negative prohibition is the positive principle that lies behind it that we want to identify so that we will know that which not only is forbidden, but that which is required, which is, in a sense, the most essential of all. So let's start with this. What does it say? It says, you shall not take or take up or lift up in the way that you would with a prayer or with a song or with the offering of a sacrifice. Uh, you might translate it, you shall not uh, use the name, uh, the name, of course, in the Bible. You may have heard this uh, uh, any number of times. is not just a label the way names tend to be. We name a thing. Um, it's not a label. It represents the person himself. And so the commandment is is concerned with how we treat God, how we treat the name of God, how we handle the name of God when we speak of God, and so how we handle our speech and our conduct in connection with uh, the God who is uh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, in light of all that he has revealed to be true about himself. So you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, uh, the root uh, meaning of uh, that Hebrew word is that which is groundless or uh, unsubstantial. Uh, so the name of God is not to be mentioned in any way that is empty or frivolous or light or insincere or thoughtless or careless, and in particular, not in a way that is profane. God, God's name and therefore his, his pers person is only ever to be honored and respected 
uh, and he is only uh, to be invoked in a way that is edifying for other people. Deuteronomy 28, 58, his name is a glorious and an awesome name. And then the, then the, the verse says, verse 7, the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Uh, New American Standard translates that unpunished, uh, who takes his name in vain. Now, what's interesting about this is that there are ten commandments. Only the second and third commandment have any warnings attached to them. So that's a, that should be somewhat curious uh, to it. Second commandment, no graven image. Third commandments, not taking the name of the Lord in vain. Of all the commandments, this is the one that has the most directly to deal with God himself. Not how God is served or which God is to be served, the first commandment, or how God is to be served, the second commandment and the fourth commandment. Um, but God himself, how, how are we to re relate to him? Not in a way that is empty and insincere. Not, a, not in a way that is irreverent, but we are to honor him and honor his name always and at all times. And I think in some ways that um, stands our... Um, expectations on, head, on, on their head. Because I think that what we tend to think is that the really important thing is how we deal with our neighbor. Uh, but notice, there are, there, there's no negative prohibition in connection with the second table. So there's no, there's no warning in connection with murder or adultery uh, or stealing, or lying, or coveting what belongs to our neighbor. There, there's not even a warning in connection with the first commandment, no other gods. Um, and there, there isn't a warning in connection with the, the fourth commandment. It's only with the, in connection with the second and third, which, which reminds us that uh, most important of all is our relationship with God. And so the warnings then are attached to how we treat God how we speak of God, how we invoke his name. And so he attaches the pro, the pro, to the prohibition the warning. You will not be held guiltless. It's a bit of an understatement, actually. Uh, an understatement that's meant to emphasize the, the seriousness of the warning. They, they will not go unpunished. They will be punished uh, who take his name in, in vain. It's curious, you know, as we... As we as we survey the world of entertainment, I, I think what we tend to think, what we tend to say to ourselves as we look at uh, the ratings in connection with movies and television programs, and we see that there's a restricted rating, and we, we tend to console ourselves by saying, well, it only has to do with language, as though that were some kind of a secondary thing. I, I think that the, the, the warnings attached to this commandment would lead us to draw a different kind of conclusion. Uh, so that when God's name is being taken in vain, it is as though there, were, there could be no greater sin than that of taking his name in vain. And hence, the warning, you will not go unpunished. I find it's especially grating if you use closed caption and you're watching a program and you see the name of God being put up on the screen. You see the name of Christ being put up on the screen in connection with the profanity that's being 
uh, that's being expressed. It's deeply, it, it ought to be deeply, deeply troubling to us. It, it, ought, it ought to be disturbing to us that, that uh, the, the degree to which that is indulged in our day. See, what we tend to think, well, commandments one, four, one to four only have to do with religion, as though that were somehow a, a secondary importance. Now, the warnings in connection with the second and third commandments tell us, no, this is of primary importance. Your relationship with God above all else is important and, and, and vital. And the punishment would, would, that, is, that is warned of here um, gives pause when we think of, in terms of the producers and directors in the entertainment industry and the actors in light of the profusion of profanity and in particular of the, the cursing in God's name that goes on in, in popular entertainment uh, today. And so this, this commandment would have us take these things with the utmost seriousness uh, warning us that God alone is to be worshipped, that he's to be worshipped as he is ordained, has ordained, and he is to be worshipped reverently and respectfully and sincerely, worshipped and served in this uh, reverent way. So let's look then at several of the prohibitions. What does it forbid? So Roman numeral number one, what does it say? Roman numeral number two, what does it forbid? Uh, so first of all, as for what it forbids... It forbids a profane use of God's name and a profane use of anything associated with his name. So, for example, his titles, his attributes, his ordinances, his word, his works. And I want to elaborate under three headings by which we can understand a profane use of his name. So, A, it prohibits blasphemy. Uh, when are we taking the Lord's name in vain? When we blaspheme. Well, what is blasphemy? Blasphemy is, is any misrepresentation or misuse of the name of God or any insults directed to him or any belittling of God or ridiculing of God or cursing of God. Uh, one of the, um, biblically speaking, one of the one of the first most obvious examples of this is Pharaoh in the presence of Moses, who says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? So what's that? That's a denial maybe, maybe even of the existence of God. Uh, that, that's, a, that's, that's a denial of the authority of God. That's a denial of the, of the power of God. That, that's a denial of any accountability to God. Who is the Lord? That's blasphemy uh, to ask that question. In the book of Malachi, the Malachi is structured by six questions and responses as you work through the four uh, chapters. Um, and a number of those questions are blasphemous. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, uh, the, the people of God are denying the love of God. Chapter 2, verse 17, they are accusing God of injustice, accusing him of delighting in evildoers. Back in chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, they, they God in turn is accusing them of despising his name by desecrating his ordinances. In the psalm, Psalm 94, 7 through 9, uh, the unbelieving are claiming that God doesn't see or hear or respond. Uh, God is not aware. Psalm 73, 11, God does not know. 
Again, this is the voice of unbelief. This is the, this is the voice of paganism. Uh, uh, Psalm 10, 11, God has forgotten. Uh, the book of Job, uh, Job comes right up to the border of blasphemy again and again and, 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 and at points, it, it seemed to me, he crosses over. God has wronged me, he says. To say that God has done wrong and wronged us and is, is guilty of an injustice, although he were not a, a just God, denying his justice, denying his holiness, denying, uh, the, again with these other things, denying his omniscience and, and his, uh, his knowledge of all things. This, this is to portray God as weak, as uncaring, as cruel, as unreasonable, as unholy and unjust uh, to, to speak of him in such a way, to regard him in such a way. That's blasphemous. And I, I think it's, it is to say, I know better. It's to say, God didn't handle that right. God should have handled things differently. God should not have allowed that to happen. God should have prevented that from happening. God should have answered my prayer and, uh, and given me uh, the particular thing that I was, I, was, uh, I was pursuing. God, in other words, God is not wise as he should be. God is not good as he should be. Because if he were, uh, then I wouldn't have had to suffer the deprivations that I have suffered or the pain that I have suffered or the discomfort that, that, that I have suffered. These are all denials of the wisdom of God or the goodness of God or the power of God. And when we do so, we blaspheme. Uh, because if, if God is anything, he's all wise. If God is anything, he's goodness itself. If God is anything, he is omnipotent. And so to deny the attributes of God is to blaspheme God and give preference to oneself and one's own wisdom and one's own goodness and one's own judgment uh, to that of God himself. Whenever we represent God in a derogatory way, we have blasphemed him. B, again under this category of uh, the profane use of God's name, cursing. That is the pronouncing of curses. So we're going to distinguish between cursing and swearing. We use those words interchangeably. I'm going to try to make distinctions. So under this um, category of of uh, cursing. I'm talking about the pronouncing of curses. Now, not all cursing, that is, declaring of cursing, is wrong. God declares curses upon evildoers, as do the prophets, as do the apostles. Uh, we have a ha whole category of psalms. They're called imprecatory psalms, where those curses are, are being expressed as well. And yet all a declaring of um, or placing of or pronouncing of curses on others implies divine action whether God's name is mentioned or not. So, so if I say curse you, typically using profanity in order to do it, what am I saying? I'm, I'm implying, one, that I'm authorized to do that. Uh, that I have permission to pronounce a curse. Um, and and, and uh, the other is that, uh, that God is going to then act and carry out that curse. So I may not say God and curse you in God's name, but the very act of cursing implies the existence of somebody who is able to carry out the curse. So when you think of all the curses that we hurl at, at, at other people, what are we implying? We're not able to carry out those curses. 
Not ordinarily. I mean, we, we may pull the trigger or something or throw a punch, but basically when we are using verbal curses, uh, we are implicitly invoking God to carry out that curse even when we fail to name him. And for us to do that without author authorization is wrong. Uh, James 3 verse 9 says that there's something fundamentally wrong when we bless God with our mouths whom we cannot see and then we turn around and curse our fellow human being who is made in his likeness whom we can see. You see the discrepancy. When the image of God is before you in the, in the presence of another person and you curse that person and then you try to turn around and say that you're blessing the God who you can't see when you've just cursed the image that was before you, these things ought not to be. There's a, a basic incongruity there when we curse other people. We're not authorized to curse them. Our practice should be to bless and curse not. Uh, that's what Jesus teaches his disciples. That's repeated again in Romans 12, verse 14. Our, our responsibility is to bless, not curse. Our responsibility is to love our enemies. It, we're, we're not even to curse things, and we're not even to curse ourselves. In England, there's a word that uh, does not translate into American English, blimey. That's an abbreviation for God blind me. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a, a curse being pronounced upon oneself. Uh, we have forms of, of this, uh, not ex exactly corresponding to that, but we have forms of this where, where people will, in a flippant kind of way, call the curse of God down upon themselves, as in we'll all be and then fill in the blank. Uh, no, uh, cursing is prohibited by this command in that we are not to pronounce curses on other people. So, A, blasphemy. B, cursing. C, swearing. God's name is not to become a swear word. So, I need only mention that profanity in our civilization, uh, to put it delicately, is uh, reserved to two rooms in the house. Uh, it's uh, reserved to... Uh, the bedroom and the bathroom and the activities that go on there. All right, that, that's to put it delicately. Put it less delicately. Uh, the name of God, that's what I'm saying, is in addition to those two rooms in the house, is lumped together with excrement and fornication when we feel impelled to swear. I think that in itself shows something of the depths of the impiety to which we have sunk in our day. Rhett Butler, at the end of Gone with the Wind, turns to Scarlett O'Hare. And she says, where will I go? What will I do? And he says, frankly, my dear, I don't give a blank. America was stunned by the use of that four-letter word in a motion picture. It sent shockwaves uh, throughout the whole civilization. And, and yet today, if we're to believe the entertainment industry, 
there's a constant flow of profanity and cursing coming from the lips of basically everybody. And this is all done in the name of realism because that's just the way everybody speaks to everyone uh, these days. So no, number one, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I'm not so sure that's the way everybody speaks. I don't think everybody in this room speaks that way. And I think about 50% of the country identifies as being Christian in one way or another so that there is some reserve about using profanity. And it's not like every other word that comes spewing out of our mouths as some form of swearing or pro profanity. So I, I wonder about that as well. But I think that, the, the, again, the, the media has a way of shaping expectations and shaping the civilization and shaping the culture and creating new norms so that what was exceptional a generation ago has, has, has now just deteriorated to the point that it's not exceptional at all. In fact, it's, it's just commonplace and vulgar and, and blasphemous. So at a time, I think our actors and actresses and our directors and producers and so forth, they what's thought, oh, this is cutting edge. How daring, how bold. You know, to, 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 you know when these uh, the forbidden words first were ever expressed on television and then in the movies, and you know, they were just blazing a new trail, cutting edge entertainment. It ought to be deeply offensive to us. And what, I, what I'm awaiting is for these trailblazers, these cutting-edge uh, writers, producers, directors, actors, what I'm waiting for them to do is to invoke the name of Allah. Yeah, do that. You're so bold. You're so, you're so courageous in taking on the norms of the civilization. All right, do that, and, and, and when you do it, invoke Allah and Muhammad. Let's see how that goes. Let's see how long your house stands. Let's see how long... Um, let's see how long your production studio uh, remains unharmed. So, yeah, very, very courageous, bold, uh, creative, uh, so forth, when it's safe to do so, um, when there's a popular support for doing so, uh, when you can get away with it. Not so bold if there's a price uh, to, be, to be paid. So that, that's where we are in our civilization, uh, where it's excrement, Fornication, the name of God, lumped together as profanity, deeply, deeply offensive uh, to us. It ought to grate on our ears when we hear the name of God, the name of Christ being invoked as a, as a means of expressing profanity. Rather, the name of God, according to Scripture, is that which we are to love and esteem and praise. We're to walk in his name and wait upon his name and thank his name and fear his name and call upon his name and proclaim his name and bless his name. So all that under, number one, profane. What it forbids, profane use of God's name. Number two, irreverent uses of God's name. God should not be the subject of our attempts at humor. He should not be referred to as the big guy or the man upstairs. When Michael Jordan first went to Paris, um, all of France was in a buzz. After all, this was the, the arrival of the world's greatest basketeer in 1997. Uh, the French uh, evening daily newspaper, Francois, upon his rival, uh, said that this was better than the Pope. 
Indeed, it said, it was God in person. Okay, that's an attempted humor. Should it be done? No, it shouldn't be done. Uh, Michael Jordan is not God. There was a surgeon in our community that people would say, he is God. He made so much money for a memorial hospital uh, that he achieved this godlike status as a, as, a, as, a, as a surgeon. It's just wrong. And again, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's meant to be, you know, an attempted at humor. God should not be the, the subject of our attempts at cheap humor. Uh, we should not say anything about God that will not pass muster on the day of judgment when we stand before the almighty God with eternity in the balance. If we wouldn't say it then and there, we shouldn't say it any other day either. That'd be my argument. If you're not going to say it in his face, and given that he's omnipresent, it should never be said. I mean, say, well, God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Does he? What, what convinces you of that? I mean, I'm, I'm fairly well convinced of it. I think a duck, a duck shows God has a sense of humor. You know, uh, a hippopotamus, a pr pretty amusing looking animal. I think God does have a sense of humor. But the only, in the Bible, the only mentioning of the sense of humor is that God laughing at the unbelieving, mocking the unbelieving and laughing at their, their foolhardiness. Uh, so before we start saying God has a, the sense of humor that matches mine and is perfectly at ease and comfortable with us dragging him into our, our jokes so that he becomes the butt of our humor or a player in our attempts at humor, um, that's an irreverent use of the name of God. It is to handle God in a way that is irreverent and forbidden. It is to take his name in vain. And thirdly, so profane uses of his name are forbidden, irreverent uses of his name, and then empty uses of his name are forbidden. When we use his name in an empty way, it's wrong. He should not be invoked in connection with light, trifling matters. As, for example, when we shout out because of surprise or shock or pain or anger. God should not be exclamation point, uh, an exclama exclamation point that, that completes our sentence. When we say, oh my blank, that shouldn't happen. Because it's just a kind of mindless invoking of the, of the name of God. Thomas Boston, the Scottish commentator, labels this a horrible prostitution of God's name. Uh, neither should God's name become a rather a punctuation mark. Uh, for example, that, that uh, falls between just and really when we pray. And I think the people of God, I think Christians are, are, are guilty of this at time where we pray, Lord, we just really, Lord, Lord, God, Father, we pray, we praise you, Lord, we praise you, Jesus, Lord, God, and, and just this... Uh, this uh, connecting together of the names of God in a way that really just is mindless. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells the story of, of coming to preach in America where everything that God said led to either an amen or a praise the Lord. I mean, literally everything. He said, you down, okay, we're going to now sing hymn number 353, and there'd be a chorus of praise the Lord. 
And his point was it was all quite mindless. And he, he felt like he really uh, sensed the working of the Holy Spirit when all that stopped and people sat in silence. They closed their mouths and they quit this mindless invoking of uh, the name of God and rather sat quietly. Uh, one, of the, one of the authors that I read is, is uh, Wilhelmus Abrockel, who's a Dutch uh, theologian from the 18th century. Um, and he, he, he points out this is not something new. He, he complains in his own day that there were those who were using the name of God as, quote, a stopgap in the absence of verbal fluency. So if I'm being called on to pray aloud, then I just, I just, I, I don't know the words to use. I run out of words to use. And so I just start using Lord and Jesus and God and Father and, and just repeating them mindlessly, one, one, one after another, to fill in the gaps in my sentences in, in, in a way that is empty and meaningless and, and purposeless. And consequently, it is ex insulting. So we have, uh, we have a number uh, other of these that we're going to look at in some subsequent uh, week. I have a number, several other categories beyond the profane, the irreverent, and the empty. But let's, uh, let's just close by looking at Malachi 1.11, where God declares to Malachi to a people indulging in blasphemy, denying his love and denying his justice and denying his righteousness, accusing God of, 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 of um, indulging evildoers, he says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. People are going to know the name of God. They're going to know the name of Christ. It will be great. It will be called upon. It will be recognized. And all that that name represents, his titles, his attributes, his word, his works, all that is going to be recognized. And the name is going to stand for it all. All the great works of God, uh, all of the, 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 the truth in, contained in, in, in the word of God, all of the beautiful attributes of God, uh, we'll all be represented by that name. And the promise is from the rising of the sun to its setting, from one end of the world to the other end of the world, that name is not going to be blasphemed. It's not going to be profaned. It's not going to become a, a feature in your cursing or in your swearing. No, my name will be great. Where? Among the nations. The rising of the sun to the setting, one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. And all over the entire globe, my name will be great. That's what I think of when I hear all this profanity in the media. That's what I think of. I mean, that's what's happening now, and it's a grievous thing. It's a heartbreaking thing. It grates on our ears. It's an awful thing to see God being dishonored, to see Christ being blasphemed the way that he is. But the promise is, my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. That's the incense is the Old Testament representative of the rising of the people of God's prayer, the rising of the, the smoke of the incense is an Old Testament type of, of uh, what would be in the New Testament prayers, rising up to God. 
that every place where people, uh, where, where, where the prayers are being offered to my name, in all those places, all around the globe, from the rising of the sun to the setting, among all the nations, they will be praying in my name. They're not going to be blasphemed anymore. They're not going to be profaning it anymore. They're not going to be invoking my name in, in meaningless and senseless and in empty ways. No, they will be praying in my name. And they'll be offering, he says, a pure offering. For, Malachi 1.11 continues, my name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. You see, it's repeated twice. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering will be offered it to my name. For my name will be great among the nations, among the peoples, across the globe, in every nation, by every tongue and tribe. My name will be great. The greatness of God will be recognized universally. The day will come. And the mouths of the blasphemers and those who would profane his name, those mouths will be closed and, and closed forever. And the praise of God and of his name will then ring out forever and ever and ever, all to his glory and, and honor and praise. That will be a great day. And it's a coming day. We're not there yet, of course. In the meantime, we suffer with this uh, this profusion of profanity. But we do so in the knowledge that the day will come. God will set things right. One of the great things I find about our Easter Sunday is, uh, and I find it just terribly moving every year when we conclude the service with the Hallelujah Chorus. I just feel like at last, finally, uh, God is getting the glory he deserves. Hallelujah. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. And to hear those voices raised, it's just, uh, as it were, an anticipation of a day that will come when the voices on earth will join the voices in heaven and, and the name of God will be honored by all as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that the day will come when your name will not be taken in vain. Well, it will, when it will only be invoked so as to honor you and to sanctify others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.